I thought it was just a cooking school, cooking class or a teen night, a social event where they got to cook. And all of these little things started piecing together that by the time I was talking to Felicity about this, I was telling her about all this because I'm like, there are so many psychological aspects that you've got covered. And I really hope you realize this because you are not just teaching cooking and you are not just teaching a skill of how to cook. You are teaching stuff that is just surpassing like barriers that are subconscious that no one even realizes. A good kitchen produces good food, but a great kitchen brings people together. Welcome to Meet Me in the Kitchen, a podcast inspired by Little Kitchen Academy, exploring the key ingredients to a meaningful life and how they are changing lives from scratch. Here's my dad and your host, Scott Rintoul. If you've ever been a teacher, a coach, or a mentor, you've probably experienced that breakthrough moment with a student, that moment when the light bulb goes on and they get it. When you see that recognition of accomplishment in their eyes spreading across their face, it's one of the most gratifying feelings you can have. The knowledge that you played a part in helping someone unlock their potential, which often improves their self-worth and their confidence. If you're a parent, You know what that feels like when it happens for your child. It's emotional to say the least. Jane Garapik knows what that feels like on multiple levels. Jane is a life coach dedicated to empowering others, and she's also a mother who has homeschooled her two children. Now teenagers, Jane's son and daughter have very different personalities, but both have benefited tremendously from taking classes at Little Kitchen Academy. The growth she's witnessed in her son specifically has made her Little Kitchen's number one fan. And Jane was very eager to meet me in the kitchen and explain why. Oh my goodness, I am so excited to be able to talk about the Little Kitchen because ever since we discovered it, that's been all I'm talking about whenever I meet other moms or we're just talking about kids and independence and cooking and nutrition and where to eat, what to eat. You know, So this is something that's really, really close to my heart. Well, that's wonderful. And I do want to get to all of that, but our interview was delayed a little bit because of some pretty wild things that happened in your life last week. I'm just glad you're okay and that you have a place to do this right now. I am too. I am too. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. You had a fire a couple doors down from you, did you not? In the alleyway. Yeah. Behind the house, Rover and Kits. Ironically, by the time we had evacuated and gotten everyone out of the house, I checked my cell phone and my mom was texting me saying, oh, are you guys okay? It's all over the news. There's a Kits fire. You know, and she's saying the streets. And I'm like, mom, we just evacuated. I just got your message now. We were in that part of the news. <laughs> so yeah, really scary. What did the evacuation look like? Okay, so I volunteer with a rabbit rescue with my kids. And so we happen to have five rabbits that we have adopted. So that was my first thought was the bunnies. Now me being the prepared mom that I am, I have their little cases. I have their carriers in the room. And so I put my daughter on that because she's really good with handling the bunnies. So I had her on that. We also have three dogs, two rescue dogs and a new puppy. So I had my son assigned to putting leashes, harnesses and getting them. And then I got the waters, the food, because we hadn't eaten breakfast yet. So all of that. And then my husband went around with the more 
practical side of things, shutting all the windows, making sure smoke wasn't coming in. That was his concern. So he did all that stuff. And honestly, it was like, really scary, really, really scary because you have no idea. You just know there's this fire in the back and you don't know and you don't really want to take the time to look because you're just focusing on getting out to the front. If it's at the back, you're going to the front. But I will say this, it was like the best fire drill because no one prepares, right? Like you never want to have to think about it and you don't want to scare the kids and you don't want to. So it was really, really good practice for something that had a really good outcome. No one was hurt. There were like seven fire trucks. The whole staging area was our front street. It was incredible. They handled it so well. They contained everything to two garages in the back and a huge tree. To look at it, I mean, I didn't look at it actually. I was in such a focused, you know, mode that I didn't even look at it till that evening. But it, it was extensive to just those areas. But they, yeah, they did an amazing job. I talked to the owner of the house and he said, you know, he echoed the same thing. Really scary, really frightening. It happened so fast. My neighbor actually was just walking back from Beyond Bread and was carrying this baguette. And he sees this happening as it happened. And so he actually set his baguette down on a car and ran with a hose to try and help the neighbor to put it out. Couldn't. And so that's when they called 911. And then I see him that evening coming back with the baguette, walking down the street with the baguette. I mean, it's just a little lighthearted humor, right, in the midst of it. And so he said he realized he had set down the baguette somewhere, had no recollection of where, because he's just, you know, walking walking along on his way home. And then he went back after that evening to see where had I set it. And he found the baguette. So wild. Yeah, just absolutely wild. And this was the morning of the podcast that I was all excited for and prepared for. Going to talk about the little kitchen. And, and then this just is shocking. And so that's why we were delayed. Yeah, that's the part of the story you never got. You didn't get the details. All you got was that fire. Yeah, it's here. I'm going to need to postpone. So that's the rest of the story. And we found out we know how to evacuate all the animals because I was a little concerned. We got the little farm going in the little house and kids. So yeah, good to know that we can do it. Well, I think most people, as you mentioned, don't practice evacuation or fire drills at home. And most people would be familiar with that at their work or at their school. But in your case, this is evacuating your school because you homeschool your children, correct? I sure do. Yes, we have only ever homeschooled. Yeah. We were introduced to some awesome mentors early, not incidentally, who were Montessori. So that stuck out in my mind when Felicity had talked about the Montessori piece when I'd first met her at the open house. We've known so many families who had older kids who had done the Montessori route. Our doctor and his wife, actually, we were in California at the time, but you know they were the ones who introduced us to Montessori and they had homeschooled to Montessori. And, and so we were very curious to know about this alternative education approach. And so when I saw this whole little kitchen idea and it had a real element of Montessori-based schooling in there, it just stood out. I was fascinated how someone had combined this into these cooking classes and yet it wasn't a homeschool thing and it was available to everybody. And the age group, I mean, the fact that it covered all the ages and had the mix stages. You know, homeschooling is a big part of that is becoming comfortable and used to lots of different ages so that there's the benefit. The older ones offer something for the younger ones. And then the younger ones offer the experience to the older one. It's, it's a really neat thing. And seeing how that's captured here at the little kitchen is just beautiful. So I got really excited about that. But yes, coming from a background of always having homeschooled, basically for these types of experiences and to be able to bring in experiences like this and handpick experiences and teachers and approaches, it's a really unique, unique thing to do. So yeah, fascinating. Well, it's interesting when you talk about homeschooling, because as you know, parents have decisions all over the place. 
Do you send your child to this daycare, to this public school? Do you go to a religious school, to a private school or homeschooling? Why did you ultimately make that choice, Jane? So fascinating. You know, the interesting thing about that is because what I want to clarify, my husband and I were 100% going to send our kids to public school, right? I mean, we got married, you know, we, we were determined. My husband's very, he's an engineer, right? Very practical, very methodical. I'm a writer. I'm a coach. I'm, you know, much more emotional. I always joke that we come to the same decisions ultimately, but I come to them emotionally and my husband comes to them practically, but we come to the same things just differently. So what it was, was we were both like just, you know, public school was the way to go. But then I had my son first. Now my daughter is just so social. If I had had my daughter, we probably would never have started exploring anything except just going to public school. But with my son, he was more of a sensitive type. He was just always more introverted than extroverted. He was what might have been called like the slow to warm up child. So he took his time. Like I always joked that birthday parties, his favorite part of going to all these birthday parties, which of course me and my husband are like so social. We love parties. But we always joked that his favorite part of these birthday parties as a little boy was the end because he had had enough time to take it all in, to figure out where he fit in and what was the feel for it. And then at the very end, when everyone had left except the birthday boy or girl, then he'd come out of a shell and he'd start playing and he'd do all these things. And it was just so fascinating to, to watch this. And so when it came time to enroll him in preschool and then kindergarten, we started looking at what in the States were called charter schools. And so charter schools, they're like public schools, but they're a little more specialized. And the one we were looking at, we were in Orange County at the time, and we were looking specifically at, it was a Montessori slash Waldorf based. So it had the component that we were looking for because we had researched a lot of the stuff. And yet at the time, it was close to what we were looking for. But then we noticed that we had been part of like, you know, the group of the baby groups, the mom and me groups. And there was a theme there where a lot of the moms were talking about this thing called homeschooling. So originally we we're like, well, we're never going to homeschool. We're never going to be the weird people because we're not weird people. So it's like, we're not going to be the weird ones. And my husband had these stories of the weirdos on his block. And I, I mean, I just knew like church people who I had only heard of the weird religious ones, not to offend anybody. I'm just saying that that's where we were coming from, that we had heard weird being associated with homeschooling. So we weren't going to do anything like that. We didn't want to be the weird people. And so what ended up happening was these people that we were meeting, they were people who were writing books books. They were the pioneers of a lot of this new way of doing homeschooling, which wasn't like school at home. It was more of bring the world as your classroom and through experiences and through bringing in the right people and handpicking experiences, handpicking people and teachers and resources, creating something very different. And so we started following that path. And there was this thing called Toddlers in the Garden, which is a lot of like the, I think there's earth schools here. There's so much more of that. And there has been in the time that my son is, you know, He's almost 18 now, but all of these things have been developing and getting more traction. And so we were following a real nature-based, outdoorsy, I mean, that's kind of the Montessori, the Waldorf, you know, without getting into a lot of the philosophical pieces. It was just, let's go outside and play. Let's have a lot of outdoor time. And so we started that as being the base of no screens. We started young doing that. I mean, it's a different world now, but at the time we were able to get away with just having nature be a big part, the nature and the social, because we were really clear we wanted to have the social piece of it. Anyway, that is a really, really, really long story. But essentially, the, that's how we came to homeschooling was one step at a time. And oh, and the biggest thing, every book that I was reading about it, I got them on tape 
they didn't have all the podcasts and everything back then. I got them on tape and my husband driving in Southern California traffic, he would listen to those same tapes to and from. And one day he came home after listening to enough of these and he said, okay, we can do it. Most of it's classroom management. We can do it. We can do it. And so he and I have a blend, whereas I love English. I love words. I love social studies, geography, writing, you know, anything to do with that. And my husband is the math and science guru. He loves math. He gets so excited about numbers and anything science and experiments and all the stuff that I'm like, stay away from me. That's like nothing I want to have anything to do with. So we basically did this partnership thing where after work, he would do that part of it, the math and science. And then I I would do all the other pieces of it during the day. And it just, you know, it worked out. So that's the long story of how we came to it. And it's been a really fascinating journey. We've traveled, we've ended up back here in Vancouver, my hometown. And so we've just done a lot of traveling. We were to do that. Just lots of different things. Met tons of different people. I'm so excited that the little kitchen is not just here in Vancouver. I mean, it's actually, we didn't know it was back in LA and, you know, where we used to be. And just so exciting to see that because we have met with homeschooling communities throughout our travels throughout the U.S. and Canada. So it's really exciting to be able to talk about something that's growing and that's like familiar to not just here, but people. So I'm, yeah, really excited to share something that people all over, you know, even in our old communities, you know, can tap into. Well, I'm very interested in hearing you share about your experience with Little Kitchen Academy in just a moment, but I want to focus on something you said during the course of that answer. And it's that misconception that people may have around homeschooling or the thought that, oh, it'll be strange for my children. What are some of the myths about homeschooling as you've gone through it? And what are some of the challenges that you perhaps encounter as well? So what's really interesting is how many times we've heard the socialization question, okay? And to be clear, my kids are now 14 and actually just turned 18. So we have been doing this from the start. Like it's not just we're just starting out. So I've got some really good stuff here for that. Socialization. Okay. Our parents thought we were absolutely crazy. Our friends. I mean, we had a lot of friends who thought the same thing. But the parents, the hardest thing is dealing with no support. When you have parents who are like, you're going to screw up our grandkids. You know, you're going to mess them up. What are you doing? And it's worse than that because my husband's family is very direct. But mine are not. It's the passiveness, right? It's, hmm. So what do you think, though, about the studies that show that, like, socialization, like, they don't get enough socialization? Like, those are the worst. It's the indirect, right? Criticisms. That what they're really trying to say is, what the hell are you doing? Like, are you crazy? So, you know, it's just that type of stuff. So, you know, having people doubt you from the start, like having people question you from the start, it really sets you up to really have to strive to get that confidence about what you're doing. So the number one thing is that drives you into actually the solution to socialization, which is to socialize because you need people because you're not going to be able to do this when you have family telling you, questioning you, you know, really making you question yourself. So you find these groups and these groups are everywhere. And if they're not there, you form them. This is probably the biggest misconception is socialization. How are they going to be socialized when school is six hours a day, five days a week? How are you going to match that? Well, the reality is because the kids have a lot of friends who go to school. And my son actually did a brief stint where he went to school for, I think, grade six grade seven for a time. And so the misconception is that just because you have a whole group of kids together, the same age, you know, in the same building for six hours a day, minus recess and lunch, that somehow they're getting socialized. So that piece in itself is just 
that's like the biggest misconception because it's not. I mean, there's a lot of bullying that goes on. There's a lot of picking, you know, on other kids. You know, if you're a really good student, if you can concentrate, if you if you don't have ADD, you know, or anything else, if you are the ideal model student, you're going to thrive. If you're not, you're going to fall through the cracks and you're actually going to have a worse experience. And it's just, it's going to be a totally different thing. I was picked on mercilessly in school. I stayed in at recess and lunch. I had a note from my mom so I could stay in. In high school, I skipped out of my last couple of classes so I could go work because I was still bullied in high school. I mean, I switched schools numerous times. I mean, these are problems that are everywhere. And I'm not unique. You know, I mean, I loved the idea of having my kids have a totally different experience. And, you know, there's no reason to believe they would have had my experience. But at the same time, you're already not having ideal socialization if you're in school just because you're in this box with all these kids for, you know, six hours a day. So I think the biggest thing is that if you are a proactive parent and if you are getting involved, you know, we did music. We did this wonderful program called Music Together. It's up here too. So I don't know if you're familiar, but, you know, we did music together. We did this thing called Toddlers in the Garden. We did a weekly play group. We did a weekly park day. You know, they've got kids who are just their friends and they form friendships with from California to Georgia to Washington. We've been all over to here. So there's lots of opportunity. If they don't have something, you start something. People will come. If you announce it, people will come. Everyone's looking for that. And then there's a lot of this co-op idea where the parents trade skills. And so you have these social opportunities where if, if someone isn't learning well by themselves or with just their own family, well, there's like the sharing of ideas where you're passing along one parental lead in the skill they're in. And you've got this group, you've got this automatic little group and, and you don't have to pay for it. I mean, it's not expensive. It's just materials or whatever, but you're sharing talents. And this is so good for the parents too. And it doesn't have to be a big time commitment. There are full-time parents who, who can homeschool. You have to get outside the box. Okay. That's the second thing. I think that's the biggest. Next to socialization, it's getting outside the box. And I will mention too, that during the pandemic, we actually moved back from the US to here in Vancouver and everything was shut down. Right. And so we started up because I was going with the model that we'd had all over the place, wherever we lived, we had this vibrant park day and it was all ages. And it was just this, it was like the little kitchen, except it was in a park. Right. And kids had the freedom to create. And, you know, the younger ones, they played capture the flight. They play all these games and there is this peer thing. You don't need a parent looking out. You know, you don't need like a referee because the older ones, it's something about being around peer years, right? And so they want to do well, like they want to fit in, they want to. And so you've got the responsible older kids playing with the younger kids. They don't think anything of it because this is the culture. This is what, you know, we've created. So we created a park day based on this model. And I just posted on these groups and we had this instant community after moving, not knowing anyone because I haven't been here in 20 years, a little bit, you know, longer. And again, you know, for homeschooling was so foreign to me, I didn't have any connections back here. So we formed this thing, made all these friends, started with that, went to beach days in the summer by the water. And, and it was just this amazing little thing that came out of even a time when everyone was socially isolated. And, you know, so that's just one little example. But the other thing is just thinking outside the box. If they don't have it, create it. You are only limited by your own thinking. And boy, that programming runs deep. If you have this idea in your mind that you cannot do something, it is usually programming. If you step outside the box and then find people, find people who are willing to step outside that box with you, you can create anything. You can do anything. And that's essentially what then you're modeling for these kids. Because I will say one thing, when you go to apply for college and you've been a homeschooler, it is a amazing the difference. From our homeschool groups that we've been in, we have kids who are at Cornell. They're all over. Cornell, there's a lot from Washington because we were there. You know, Harvard, 
Harvard, there's a family that had two of them. They went to Harvard and they're just, they're making a difference in the world. Like there's activism there because a lot of times if you're thinking outside the box as a parent, you're modeling stuff for your kids. I have a business. I'm a life coach empowering women and other people who need to be empowered, groups that don't feel power, feel powerless. So I have a business that began accidentally with me just writing on a blog 10 years ago. And I now have women and and others from all over the world that I empower. So it's modeling stuff. And I would never have thought about doing something like this if I hadn't first come outside the box and been kind of gradually eased out of it by the groups that we were in. But essentially, I'm so passionate about that. I think this is what Felicity and I connected on because we had some tears just talking about this. So I would certainly describe you as a proactive parent based on that description. And I would certainly say that I can see the connection of making a difference in the world when it comes to Little Kitchen Academy and what you're doing with homeschooling and your overall philosophy on education. Let's get to that piece about Little Kitchen Academy. How did LKA first enter your world? Ah, okay. So my daughter loves to cook. She has scared me to no ends with her fearless approach to the kitchen and doing whatever it is, the oven, everything. And so she was looking to expand into more things. And so she wanted to push herself more socially to meet more people. And so I went looking for cooking classes. She gave me a list of all the different things that she was thinking of. And so I was like, well, let me play around with this. I came back with some ideas. And then one of the things that popped up, and I couldn't believe it was like right around the corner. She does a sewing class nearby, but I could not believe that this was this little kitchen and it's right around the corner. So I asked her about it. She looked on the website, looked into it. We looked up on some of the videos and things. And so we decided to try it for her. So we did one trial class and she went, she was a little bit tentative. She happened to go on a night too, when you guys had, um, some, um, neurodivergence. I'm not sure the exact politically correct, forgive me. So it was such a neat experience for her because there were all different levels and she loved it. She came out of there and I was like, okay, what's it going to be? I had no idea what to expect. So she came out of it and just absolutely loved it. And my question, of course, was, okay, what about your brother? Because I am always looking for his stuff. See, he's not as naturally just the go-getter. I mean, he's very social now, allowed to kind of develop you know, that on his own. He's really come onto his own. But he doesn't always go find these opportunities. So I'm always like, oh, what's over here? You know, I'm always looking out for him. And so I said, would your brother like it? And she said, you know, I think he would. So, of course, I went home. I said, okay, your sister thinks you might like this. So what do you think? Will you try it? He says, oh, okay, I'll try one. I'll try it. So I signed him up for one. Oh, my goodness. Peter was the instructor. Oh, Peter is amazing. Peter is just incredible. And that session, I don't know, Jake, that's my son. He and Peter just They connected and he sat right next, you know, he's like me. I'm always in the front row of everything. And so Jake was like in the station right next to Peter so we could watch, make sure he got everything. So I held my breath at the end. I was like, okay, I had no idea how this was going to go. He came out and he says, I loved it. He said, I learned how to cut. He showed me and he's showing us how he learns to cut with the knife. And I looked at that and I'm like, 
I've always been afraid of knives. Like I never let on, but I've always been afraid of knives. Like I didn't know that. So he's teaching me how to do this. It, you know, and the whole thing about when you really learn something is when you can actually teach it, right? When you can teach something, you've really learned it. You've really absorbed it. So he's teaching me how to do that. And then he kept going back and he kept coming home with these amazing meals. And one of the times my mom was over. And so, you know, grandma has cooked for, you know, centuries, not really. But, you know, so they came home and she was staying over and they came home with this meal and it was soup. It was the soup. And she tried this and she said, oh my goodness, this is the best soup I have ever had in my life. This is amazing. You know, and again, especially my son, because my daughter's very confident already. But for my son to hear her say this, he was like, wow, you know, he's just beaming. And to see this, I mean, it was just incredible. And then another time that he went, my husband and I had a workshop that we went to and we had to bring a lunch. Well, we looked in the fridge that morning and there were the leftovers. Okay. They were these jalapeno egg bites or something. Okay. I don't do anything spicy. Okay. I long learned my mom never did anything because my dad didn't like anything spicy. So my mom never cooked anything that had the least bit of spice in it. So I've been really, really deprived in that area. Like I jalapeno on top. It's going to be too spicy for me. Well, of course, because they had made it. The kids had made it. I tried it. It was amazing. I love this thing. So it's like it stretched my palate because now I'm trying stuff just because they made it. And so I'm excited about it. And, and so we took this to the workshop and had it for our lunch, their leftovers. I mean, what an incredible confidence boost to have that, you know, just just incredible. So, yeah, I mean, that's the beginning of just all of this and how I came to it. it was a trial for my daughter. And then my son is the one. And this is where I was going on and on with Felicity at this open house. And this is where, you know, she was tearing up because she was saying, like, this is what she envisioned when she created this, when she came up with this vision in her mind, she was thinking about this. And so to be able to see this happening you know, it was just incredible and, and so heartwarming. And, and so now he's done this. He's done like three repeat sessions of four, you know, and it's just such a neat experience and to have the confidence. And he's been cooking for us. He's now, we've implemented this. So thank you to everyone at the little kitchen because they now, my daughter does breakfasts and my son does lunches. And so they cook and they come up with their meal plan. We do the grocery shopping together and they have this thing. Unless you think we're like some idyllic kind of a family here. Like, no, my kids, the only thing I've done is encourage them to express feelings. So we have a very expressive family. We're a very loud family because everyone is free to express, not to hold in because I grew up holding it in. And so it is not idyllic. Some of this is through like blood, sweat and tears, but you know what? It's real. And I feel like that's what the little kitchen is. It's real. It's a real experience. And from what I have seen, they don't let us in there. So, you know, I'm not privy to that. But from what I understand, I mean, it's real. You know, they ask questions. There's a freedom and there's the freedom to develop the confidence. You know, my daughter, she doesn't need much help. She pretty much just rocks this thing. My son, he's asking questions like all the time. He's still there right with Peter, you know, right at the front. And, you know, their last session when they finished, Peter, at the end, because I guess a lot of them aren't coming back for the summer. They're taking a summer break. So at the end, Peter did this really special, special thing. He was letting them out and he was talking to my son and telling him how he'd just seen him grow and improve. And I could just see my son just beaming because it's such a confidence boost to have this chef who makes everything look so easy. 
tell him I see this in you. And so I cannot recommend this experience enough. I actually relay these stories to everybody because I can't stop talking about it because what we have learned is the value of bringing in mentors and the value of bringing in other people. You don't have to pay for everybody if you, you know, if there's prohibitive thing with finances. It's just finding people who have the talent, who have the ability. And I think the biggest thing is have the ability to see your kids and have the ability to see them in such a way that they can see themselves reflected back through your eyes and through the lens that you look through. And there is something so beautiful for a child to have someone who recognizes their ability, even if they feel like it's their weakness or that something where they're not experienced enough or they have, you know, whatever their disability might be or whatever their shortcoming is or whatever. You know, there is something so special and so affirming, life-affirming, not just for now, but life-affirming that someone saw them. And you know how we talk about how, you know, a very special teacher can make all the difference? This is the same type of thing. An experience like this, where it's something that's out of their comfort zone with cooking, with nutrition, with selecting foods, with having the agency to make your own choices, to not just be told to do something, but to have someone come alongside you and support you in doing that and do it in such a way that you feel empowered. That is an incredible, incredible thing to give to a child at any age. And as teens, you know, I talked to Felicity about this, as teens are getting ready to be independent and to go out into the world. I mean, to have that is just, I mean, it's incredible to have that. My husband went to college not ever eating healthy. He grew up not eating with, you know, he didn't know anything. And he had a roommate who looked at him and was like, dude, what are you eating? You can't eat that crap. And that was his first experience with healthy foods. And when I hear that, I'm just like, oh my goodness, I took it for granted. I thought, you know, that most people come from these, you know, families and we learn this stuff and we do it. But even in my own home, right, hearing this story from my husband, to be able to give this gift to my son through the little kitchen and my daughter just, you know, reinforces, okay, so mom and dad do know something about what they're doing. But to hear it from someone who isn't the parent is just incredible. So I can't say enough. And that's why I was so excited to talk about this. And I just love the fact that no one is excluded from this experience. No one is excluded from any of this, no matter what shortcoming they might have, no matter what neurodivergency they might have, it just whatever it is. I just love how the Little Kitchen and Peter and whoever else is involved in there, they just embrace everyone and see them with that vision with that lens that a child feels they're going to pick up on especially. Well, I don't have a catchy rhyming phrase like happy wife, happy life or happy kids and whatever comes after that. But what you're describing, I think most parents can relate to. And you see that joy in your children and you think, okay, of course, we're going to go back to that activity or to that school, whatever it happens to be. I imagine you connect on a little different level, given what you do for a living. So was it you recognizing that empowerment in your children that really made you realize how special this is? Yes, that's exactly it. So I am attuned to that. When someone gets something, when all of a sudden it's like they see themselves in like this light that is just such an empowered, excited about themselves light. You know, I recognize that. And it's interesting you say that because, you know, I see it in my clients and I see it in people who I really have a heart for. And there is something like just extra special when you see that in your kids. 
And that's exactly it, because there was something about seeing, and this is why it works for everybody. My daughter loved it, but it was also something that was already very much in her comfort zone. So it was perfect because it gave her a chance to practice. It gave her a chance to try it out. But there was something about seeing my son come home from this. It was before he got in the car. It was when he walked out of the little kitchen and he said goodbye to Peter and I took a picture of the recipe. But there was this smile. He was just beaming. And I was just like, Oh my goodness, the first time, like I said, I waited with bated breath, like, what's it going to be? What's he going to think? And seeing him light up, seeing that sparkle, I was just like, wow, this exceeded my expectations. And that's exactly it. It was seeing that in him. It's that same thing that I do look for. And it tells me that this is a match because what I'm really good at is matching people with other people. I see beyond the exteriors and I really try and match people. And so that's what I saw was that this is an amazing fit, you know, because that's one of my messages and it applies to everything, including this. You have to find your people. If it's not a fit, it's not a fit. And trying to force something. Now, unfortunately, we're not always all able to do that. There's circumstances where you can. And, but, you know, when you find a fit, it's like so exciting because something really special is going to happen when you have people who are a really good fit. And so, yes, that's exactly it. That's what I saw. And especially in someone who is a little bit intimidated by cooking, someone who doesn't have a lot of confidence, just as one quick example, the pop. My son came home from the night when there was the pop. Well, that's how he described it. So I'm describing it to you that way because he came home and he says, I said, this thing was sizzling the way dad does it. But my husband's usually burning food. And I'm like out there by the smoke alarms waving, you know, a towel so the smoke alarm will stop going off. You know, and this has always been like a contentious point because I'm like, dad's burning it. And he's like, you know, and then the kids are like, well, is this cooking or is this burning or is this okay? Or is the smoke alarm supposed to be going off? And so, you know, my son just captured it because he said, you know, Peter was explaining it to me that like, this is the cooking and the sizzling and it was okay. It wasn't like something that is to be intimidated by or afraid of. It's like, this is how we cook and this is what to expect. So there was something about having it in a contained location with someone who is like an actual chef no offense to my husband, but someone who is an actual chef telling him, oh, so that sizzle, that's what this means. See, it's the oil or it's the whatever, you know, the heat. It's So my son was able to ask those questions. And again, there are no stupid questions. He actually makes everyone feel like they're good questions to ask. He makes everyone feel like ask any question. All the questions are valid and I'll answer them. And he doesn't talk down to you. I mean, you know, the way my son has described this and I've met Peter, so I get it. But it's just, there's no question that isn't a good question because it's a child asking it or a teen, you know, in my case. And it's exactly that, those moments of just, you know, you can't even know what they're going to be as a parent. And for this one, it was the knife, cutting with a knife properly so that you don't cut yourself. And I will say one interesting thing about the knife. The safety of that, I really can't stress enough because there can also be like intergenerational trauma to do with things like the knife. Because what really occurred to me as my son came home talking about the knives, I remember my dad passing along a story that his mom, my grandmother, always got weak in the knees when she was cutting with the knives. And then my dad had told me that he got weak in the knees. And I started realizing, wait, wait a second. I get that too. Like there's something about that. And all of a sudden it hit me because I haven't thought about this in years because I haven't had it really. But every once in a while, if there's certain circumstances, I'll feel this like weak in the knees. And it's like a traumatic experience response. I think that you are absorbing what someone had 
And it's become this intergenerational trauma experience that's been passed along. And so hearing my son talk about it, I realized we broke the cycle. There's nothing. He doesn't have this visceral response in the body because he's learning about this from someone who isn't also passing along the story of, oh, you know, I get this. Whereas a lot of times as parents, we don't know. We don't realize that we pass something along. I'm sure my grandmother didn't mean to pass this along to her son, my dad, and I'm sure my dad didn't mean to pass it along. So there's these little things. And because I have a background in psychology, in case you can't tell. So I'm always looking for things like this. And so to be able to to just stumble on these little things where I'm like, I thought it was just a cooking school, cooking class or a teen night, a social event where they got to cook. And all of these little things started piecing together that by the time I was talking to Felicity about this, I was telling her about all this because I'm like, there are so many psychological aspects that you've got covered. And I really hope you realize this because you are not just teaching cooking and you are not just teaching a skill of how to cook. You are teaching stuff that is just surpassing like barriers that are subconscious that no one even realizes. I'm very curious to hear your next answer because this could go a lot of different ways. It's a common question. In fact, the thread that we have between each episode, and I'll ask it right now, what is the one ingredient, Jane, that is always in your kitchen and why? Cinnamon. I always have cinnamon. So I grew up with kind of cinnamon toast. We used to always have cinnamon toast and that was our thing. And so there was something about cinnamon that is very comforting. It's also very warming. Oh my goodness. I buy this thing in bulk. And if that thing goes on sale, I'm like, I got extra bulk. So cinnamon is my thing. And then what's so interesting is years ago when I was trying to figure out, okay, what do we feed the kids? Like, I don't know anything. I know kind of that we did these balanced meals growing up, but you know, I want to venture out on my own and figure out I want to do things on my own. And so I'm going to figure out what to feed my kids on my own. And so I remember reading and studying up everything on nutrition and health and all this stuff. And you know what I came across? I came across something about cinnamon, that cinnamon actually had whatever benefits are in blueberries. Apparently there is something in cinnamon that is equivalent to like a handful of blueberries. And I was just like, whoa, like my go-to, you know, my cinnamon, because my oatmeal just has like so much cinnamon. And anytime like we're baking, I always throw cinnamon into everything. It's like whatever the recipe is, I'm adding cinnamon in there. And so it was so interesting to come across this actual discovery that there's a lot of things about blueberries that whatever the health benefits are, are equivalent in cinnamon. That was shocking. I also know that for ants, I've heard cinnamon helps with ants and keeping ants out. So I don't know. I've never tried that one. I've just sometimes seen people say that on different places, different boards. But cinnamon is my ingredient in the kitchen. Well, that is not Felicity's one ingredient. But in speaking with you today, I can see exactly why you and Felicity connected. There's this saying in sports that game recognizes game. And you two are both very empowered women. And it's not only that you're empowered, you've taken it up on yourself to empower others and to try to spread that gift to so many other people. I know this is a really simplistic way to ask this question, but that's what I'm going to do. What to you is the key to beginning that journey for people who don't feel empowered? Oh my goodness. You know, it is absolutely first by telling your story to yourself, telling the true story without shame, without guilting yourself, without the shoulds. I could never have begun what I did without recognizing 
my own story that I was simply covering up with the happy face, with the perfect, you know, with being so perfect, the exteriors, right? And I remember someone saying to me, actually, I remember someone saying to my mom as they had gotten to know me like as a teen, and they had said, wow, you know, at some point, you know, Jane's really going to go through something because like, how can anyone keep up that facade? And my mom had no clue what they were talking. This was a someone who had some insight. None of us knew what that was. I would not come to know that until years later, but someone recounted that story to me. And this is what I'm talking about. So I thought I had everything, right? I thought I was doing everything. I was following all the rules. I was doing everything. There was a disconnect between actually what was going on inside and the trauma that I had gone through and the things I had gone through that I had never talked about, that I had never even admitted to myself. You know, Felicity and I talked about everything, but I don't even think we, you know, we ran out of time for everything that we could have talked about. But, you know, I really think this is a key thing with anyone who's making a difference in the world. And the people I meet who are these kindred spirits who feel this way, inevitably at some point they can came to a place in their life where something wasn't working anymore. And that something is not a reason to bury your head in shame, crawl under the covers and decide to just pack it in. That moment is the moment when you tell yourself the truth. I volunteered with the crisis center and I've done suicide prevention workshops in high schools. And this is one of the things I say, that you have to reach that point where that pain, that whatever you're going through is happening, is coming up now for a reason. And this is the time to become real, to drop the playing, the pretending, the performing that you don't even realize you're doing. I mean, this is survival. You, you don't even realize you're doing it. But it's to come back to yourself and ask yourself, who am I? What do I need? What do I like? What do I feel like? And you know what? I'll tell you the simplest thing. It's like the simplest thing. I discovered this in a yoga class where they had us simply like holding our feet or holding our hands. And there was something about holding your hands or holding your feet and realizing this is my body. And there's something about that experience that all of a sudden it brings you back into yourself where, hey, I have a body here. I have things that I might need and I might not be getting those needs met and trying to please everyone and trying to perform and trying to keep up with my friends or trying to keep up with some standard that I'm supposed to be living up to isn't working for me. And I need something different. I need something to change. There is so much power in even just recognizing that that could possibly be what is happening instead of, oh, quick, cover it up, quick, quick, Things are not working. You know, quick, put on another layer to mask what is going on. So, I mean, that was a long, am I ever not long? But essentially, it is to get back to something real, deep within yourself that knows that whatever is happening right now, even if you can't change it, even if there is nothing you can do and you feel so stuck in what you're doing and so powerless to change it, come back to you and just sit with yourself and just stay with yourself and be with yourself and hold your hand. Be that advocate for yourself and for that little girl or boy in you who never had the chance to have your needs met. Be that advocate for yourself, even if it seems corny, even if you're like, this is crazy or people are going to laugh at me or who do I think I am or whatever. Just come back and sit with yourself. And if you can't sit with yourself, as an adult, sit with yourself as that little boy or girl and just remember them and just think about something that they might have needed in a moment where they were uncertain and they were unsure and just come back and be that for them, even if there's no one else who can be that for you at that moment. And then ask for help. Reach out, whatever you believe in, whatever spiritual belief or higher power, whatever. I don't want to get woo-woo here, but just simply say the word help. I need help. 
and then be open again out of the box. Be open to seeing what comes your way, what shows up, whose path crosses yours. You don't know. If I'm out there, I'm going to be smiling at you and I'm going to recognize you because I pick up on stuff like I know if there's someone who's come from where I've come from or been in a place where they felt powerless, I'm going to smile at you and that will be an invitation for you to just be seen. Even if that's all we ever do is just pass each other on a street or because there is such power in just first seeing yourself and then being able to just say, help and let whoever is going to pick up on that. Whatever kindred spirit, whoever is going to be around to pick up on that, who's now going to recognize you as, oh, there you are. Because I meet people like this all the time. It's a beautiful thing. I do believe I'm at Felicity for a reason. And this is how we meet people. So don't be afraid to just be that person that you're going to slowly uncover because you're going to meet people who will support that. You're going to meet people who will become your like most fiercest advocates to be yourself because they've gone through a journey themselves. That's a really inspiring way for us to finish this conversation. And I'm really happy that our paths crossed today. Jane, your spirit is infectious and I wish you all the best. I'm really happy for your family with everything that's going on. And thank you very much for spending the time with me today. My absolute pleasure, Scott. This has been such a pleasure. It has been so nice meeting you and looking forward to seeing more and hearing more about the little kitchen. Thank you. Meet Me in the Kitchen is curated and produced by Toolkit Content. You can find more information about Little Kitchen Academy, including classes, locations, employment, and franchise opportunities at littlekitchenacademy.com. What's the one ingredient that's always in your kitchen? 